Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Tuesday, July the 6th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, Boris Johnson, psychopath. Boris Johnson announces that on July the 19th, England will be going back to no masks, no social distancing and no restrictions on crowds. And there's a Delta variant, which is seeing a spiking number of cases in England, in particular, as well as many other places around the world. What could possibly go wrong? Plus, three black men in South London finally get justice. 50 years behind bars for a crime that they did not commit. Wrongfully convicted. The story of the Stockwell Six. Three of the members of the Stockwell Six released today by the Court of Appeals after they overturned the conviction of three men out of the six men who were wrongfully accused and wrongfully convicted of stealing from a corrupt police officer. That story and more coming up next. So here we are. Here we are, dear listener, on this Tuesday, July the 6th, 2021. Thank you very much for your loyalty. It's 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 absolutely lovely. It really is. It's 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 you who are the people who make all of this work, I mean, if it's not for you, I'm just talking into the wind, which I might well be anyway, but uh, your listenership's very important. And as I've said before, compliments aren't uh, necessary for me. I mean, I, I like them. Of course, it's nice. We all like to be complimented. And it's nice. It's a good feeling. But you, you never want to get too big-headed when it comes to compliments, because, you know, you have to keep yourself honest at all times. You have to really um, know that the same people or the same compliments you get today may be the swords in the back you get tomorrow um, when you do something that's not so good or that you, you know, you, you, you know, the things aren't as good as they might be. So just keep yourself an even keel and keep pushing yourself forward. But the point is, is that your listening is the ultimate compliment. That's the real compliment for me, is to know that you are listening. So I thank you again. And as I said, in the next few days, I'm going to be doing a, an, an appreciation giveaway. It's going to be of a book. Um, it's going to be a novel this time. And I'm giving a hint or two. It's going to be a novel that has made a lot of waves lately. Um, positive ones, really good waves. So <laughs> that could be any novel, but I have one particularly in mind, and that's coming up um, in the next, well, little while. Uh, not today, but at some point soon. So there is a book giveaway coming, uh, a listener appreciation for thank yous. You know, I, I've done a lot of episodes of this podcast. I mean, it's been every day for well over a year now that I've been doing this. And so I just thank you for your continued loyalty. 
And even some days where I go for nearly two hours or more, <laughs> I, I thank you for your, for your time and, 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 and your loyalty. But Boris Johnson is not loyal, has not been loyal, and doesn't give a jack rat's ass about England or the UK at large. Why? Because he threw it under the bus with Brexit. Brexit is not turning out very nicely. It has not aged very well. And Boris Johnson is pretending that Brexit is a triumph when he knows in his heart that it's a disaster and a moneymaker for him and his rich buddies. At the expense of many people across the EU who travel back and forth as at the expense of England nationals and UK nationals at large who are traveling back and forth and then they've got to go through all these rigorous checks and this and that. It's just absolute craziness. And Boris Johnson doesn't care about the English public because he famously said, I know he denies it to the nth, but he lies it. It's not even that he denies it, he lies it. Oh, I didn't say that I'd, ra- I'd, I'd rather have thousands more uh, bodies stacked high than uh, have a national a third national lockdown. Oh, no, I never said that. Well, you know, there are witnesses who said he did say it, who were there when he said it, who heard him say it. So no amount of lying that Boris Johnson do- does will convince anybody otherwise. And you know, it kind of further confirms the attitude of a psychopath, a sociopath like Boris Johnson, because he's now telling you and me that on July the 19th, the magical, mystical, majestical day of July 19th, July 19th, you can all take off your masks, you can all take off your gloves, you can all just cram together like sardines in a closed closed space, indoors, no, don't worry, we've got no restrictions for you. We've got no hand sanitizer for you. We've got nothing for you but COVID. Because that's really what we're talking about here. And the likelihood of more COVID with no restrictions and a Delta variant that's tearing through England like, I don't know what. It's just inevitable that there's going to be more people getting sick from this virus and this variant. Here in California, it's up to 34% last month, 34.5% last month. And that's not the national number, that's the state number. The reported coronavirus cases in June alone of 2021 in California alone, alone, was something like 33% of the new cases, 34 or so percent of they might have been even 35% of the new cases of COVID infection. 35% of the cases from the Delta variant. That's more than a third of the cases. Last month, 33, 34, 35%. Staggering. And in May of 2021 in California, Less than 6% of the cases. Less than 6%. It's 
around, it was around 4.7%. 4 point something, I don't remember. But it was under 6. And this is a real problem. I mean, and Boris Johnson in England, oh, you know, no problem. Yesterday he announced it. And, yeah, oh, you know, we, we will be moving toward personal responsibility. And, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. We don't want to do any government uh, FTAT, whatever. We don't want to do any of that anymore. We want to run this by your own personal responsibility. I mean, Boris Johnson's a classic, well, I put quotes around the word classic, libertarian. He is a pure libertarian. Oh, you know. Personal responsibility, do what you want. And everybody knows what personal responsibility is. It's Boris Johnson and eight kids. Or is that nine? And five wives or five women that he had these children with. Or is that six? Can I say seven? Going once, going, oh, eight. Oh, there's a, oh, number nine in the back. I mean, this is just, he's had at least eight kids. In fact, nobody really knows how many children he's had. I mean, this guy, it, 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 anyway, who am I to judge? But the point is, is that Boris Johnson is worse than a used car salesman. And not only that, this is a guy who wanted to be world king. And he actually opened his mouth and admitted that. I want to be king of the world, world king. And what he is, is a world champion liar, to borrow the word of Randy Rhodes, who does a show of her own. Uh, to a to a great to great greater degrees and greater effect um, in a three hour time period every day um, on free speech TV twelve to three Pacific time and she I love the way she uses that word champion meaning champion I mean he is a world champion liar Boris Johnson has never seen a lie that he didn't like he absolutely loves to lie. It's compulsive. It's congenital. It's pathological. He can't help himself. Or maybe he could. Help himself to more lies, that is. But I want to play you just a portion. Just a portion. Because I'm not going to weigh you down with the entire thing. The Boris Johnson said a portion of that announcement from yesterday, Monday... At 10 Downing Street, you've got to listen to this. It's just, it's just flabbergasting. But we've got to stay cautious. We've got to exercise caution. So on the one hand, it's take off your mask, mingle and dingle and whatever the hell else you do in a packed group of people. No mask, no physical distance, nothing. And not even a differentiation about whether you're vaccinated or whether you're not. It's very misleading. I don't even remember if he did say anything about if you're not vaccinated yet. It's just you're asking for more people to die. And I, perhaps I think he probably secretly wants that to happen. Maybe because that would help him get reelected. Or his party get reelected. Because the whole country doesn't vote for Boris Johnson. Except when he's the leader uh, running for the leadership. And that's only the conservative party that votes for that. And that's a small slither of people, as we found out. Only the party leaders and the party members get to... Uh, only the party members, people who are members of the Conservative Party, get to vote for the Conservative leader. And it's a small slither of people. There's less than 200,000 people in 2019 who voted for the Conservative leader. 
But I've got to play this to you just so that you can understand the level of unabashed, not only narcissism, although he kind of uh, tamped down on it in this statement that you're about to hear, at least part of it, but the unabashed recklessness and sociopathic behavior. Listen to this from Boris Johnson. This was on Monday at 10 Downing Street. So as we come to the fourth step, we have to balance the risks. The risks of the disease, which the vaccines have reduced, but very far from eliminated, and the risks of continuing with legally enforced restrictions that inevitably take their toll on people's lives and livelihoods, on on people's health and mental health. And we must be honest with ourselves that if we can't reopen our society in the next few weeks, when we will be helped by the arrival of summer and by the, the school holidays, then we must ask ourselves, when will we be able to return to normal? And to those who say we should delay again, the alternative to that is to open up in winter, uh, when the virus will have an advantage, or not at all this year. And so, again, without preempting the decision on the 12th of July, let me set out today our five-point plan for living with COVID in the hope that it will give families and businesses time to prepare. First, we will reinforce our vaccine wall, reducing the dose interval for under 40s from 12, uh, for under 40s from 12 weeks to eight, so that everyone over 18 should be double jabbed by the middle of September, in addition to our autumn program of booster vaccines for the most vulnerable. Second, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behavior. We'll move away from legal restrictions and allow people to make their own informed decisions about how to manage the virus. From step four, we will remove all legal limits on the numbers meeting indoors and outdoors. We will allow all businesses to reopen, including nightclubs. <laughs> like I keep saying, this is funny, but it's not funny. We will allow all businesses to reopen, including nightclubs. Oh, nightclubs. Oh, yes, I remember those in my day. I remember nightclubs. So do you, dear listener. If you went to nightclubs, <laughs> I'm sure everyone who's listening to this podcast right now has gone to at least one in their entire life. And you know, in the days pre-COVID-19, oh, the nightclubs. And, you know, you'd go in. I mean, not... If you're of a certain age, maybe you're not going in now. But I mean, I mean back when you were younger, when I was younger. And you'd go into the nightclub and ooh. Or maybe not. Maybe you'd just stand against the wall and look at everybody making an ass of themselves or having a good time. Well, you know, it's it's good. You can have a good time and make an ass of yourself and still have a good time. And still make an ass of yourself. <laughs> but it's okay. This is what life is. It's good to have fun. And I'm a big big proponent of it. Nightclubs reopening in the COVID-19 era. What could possibly go wrong? You're indoors and no ventilation, at least not sufficient ventilation. 
and you're going to have loads of people in there because a nightclub ain't shit when you've got 10 people standing around in it. Which is why ladies get in for free or get in for a pound or get in for $2. Because you'd have all these men standing around or as someone would say, not me, but someone would say, who I know, a sausage party. You'd have a sausage party. And come on now, if you're a straight man, a sausage party ain't any fun. So, you know, you know this is why, because that's why, why do you think, <laughs> oh dear, why do people think that apart from, I don't know, why do people think that the prices are different? For why? Because they want, because the nightclub owners want to balance out the gender distribution or the the number of men and the number of women and the number of of, of anyone who's transgender or anyone else. They want the numbers to be balanced out, at least when it comes to uh, male and female. They want the numbers to be balanced. So what? I don't know this this. Nightclub thing is, you know, is why it's not a good idea as I stumble here for words. The, the reason why nightclubs are not a good idea is because the virus spreads quicker in a crowded place, in a closed, confined area with very little ventilation. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I, I Listen, dear listener, I don't know what you're thinking right now. But what I'm thinking right now is that Boris Johnson is absolutely murderous. He's killing you. The guy's got blood on his hands and he's warming up for more. He wants to put you all in a nightclub again. With the Delta variant running riot. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Oh my goodness me. And I'll tell you something else. A lot of people have forgotten this. Earlier this year, it could have been late last year as well, by the way, so I may have my dates mixed up. But whenever it was, a few months back, there was, in South Korea, a reopening of nightclubs. And South Korea had got their levels of COVID-19 infection really, really low and had been pretty darn good. I mean, they had some ups and downs, but they were pretty good throughout this pandemic, with some a few exceptions. And there was a town that reopened in South Korea. I forgot the province. And all of a sudden, boom, reopened the nightclubs. And within a couple of days, people got sick. The infection rates went up again. And by the time we got to the, the within the next week and a half, people were sick. And the rates started to go up. And so they had to close the nightclubs down again. They had to close them all down in South Korea. And you know why? There was a reinfection rate that was through the roof. And it turned out that there was a guy who went to these nightclubs who had COVID. I don't know whether he knew it. I don't, obviously, at th- this time, he, he, there was no vaccine available yet. And I don't know if he had ever been tested. But what happened was, is that he went to this nightclub and he went to two different other nightclubs in the same night and he spread this freaking thing like wildfire. Like 30 people got sick at least. 
And then they had to shut down all the nightclubs again. And what is Boris Johnson thinking about? Talking about wanting to reopen. Oh, we're going to re- oh, reopen the nightclubs. What? I, I just, I really don't understand what the grand plan is for him to do this to you. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Why does he want to put you six feet under? Because literally, with this Delta variant, it is two to three times more infectious than these other variants, than the predicate virus itself. And you're really asking for trouble. And more people get sick from it. It spreads faster. It's highly contagious. And you want, and he wants to reopen nightclubs in less than two weeks. I mean, this statement he made was yesterday, but so it was two weeks from yet. It was yesterday. It was two weeks. It's now under two weeks, and all you're hearing about is more people dying now again in England and in the UK. More people dying. More people coming down with this virus. More people getting this Delta variant. And Boris Johnson says, "Oh no, we're going to reopen all the businesses, including the nightclubs." Night fever, night fever. We know how to drop dead. It's really getting like that. The Bee Gees? Or maybe the BJs, as in Boris Johnson, singing a song, the Pied Piper of Lies. A Pied Piper of Downing Street. He wants to walk you off that cliff. He wants to walk you off the Tower Bridge. He wants to walk you off the London Bridge. When it opens, he wants to walk you off. When that, when those two, when that bridge draws back, he wants you, he wants you to walk right over the edge of it and and right into the River Thames. I, I mean, he does. I mean, my good, I just oh, we're gonna reopen the nightclubs. What could possibly go wrong? What do you think? Beth Rigby, Sky News. Thank you. Prime Minister, you promised a cautious but irreversible route out of lockdown. And now you're about to get rid of all restrictions, a big bang approach, even as to quote Chris Whitty there, we're in the face of an increasing epidemic. So the need to act accordingly to limit transmission, and yet you're doing away with all those safeguards. But many people see that not as cautious, but as reckless. And I also put it to you that you just don't seem to be committing to irreversibility either. You just said that you will do everything possible uh, to avoid reimposing restrictions in the winter. So is this cautious or irreversible? And to Professor Whitty, you said at the beginning of the year it might be necessary to reintroduce some restrictions over the winter. What is your view of that now, given the Delta variant and the vaccine? You said that back in January and so much has changed. And does the big bang unlock in this summer now make more restrictions in the winter more or less likely in your view? Uh, well, Beth, I, I think that, uh, you know, with great respect, obviously, to, to you, you know, we, we, we can't say that I'm being uh, both incautious and, uh, and also abandoning irreversibility. But what we want to do is 
uh, strike the right balance. And uh, we are trying to move from a, a system of a very elaborate government uh, rules to one in which we rely on people to exercise personal responsibility to, to follow guidance, mindful that, as I say, this pandemic is, is far from over. What we have achieved uh, with the vaccine rollout has put us in a, a, a very strong uh, position by comparison with, uh, with many other countries in terms of the, the wall of protection uh, that we have. But we must remain, uh, we must remain cautious. And uh, I think that that's why, uh, you know, the, I, I'm asking people uh, to, to, to think in that way. This is, this is, I don't want people to feel that this is, uh, as it were, the moment to get uh, demob happy. This is the end of, the, uh, of COVID. It is very far uh, from the end of, uh, of dealing with this virus. Well, if it's very far, and if we're very far from dealing with the end of this virus, then why on earth are you reopening? <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but it is funny, but it's not. Why is Boris Johnson doing this? He's obviously trying to appease a lot of people, namely the Tory backbenchers, the ERG group, who are now the what? The CRG group. They're the blooming alphabet soup of the House of Commons. They changed their freaking uh, blooming initials and their blooming uh, acronym every, every other week. God, dear, dear me. That's just a bit more than they changed their underwear, I bet. But the point is, is that you've got people that Boris Johnson is bending over backwards for, like the business community, like these Tory backbenchers and these blooming Brexiteers who are now, you know, on side, and, and all these other people. The working, the working class, he's not siding with. The nurses of the NHS, he's not siding with. And yesterday, the NHS had its 70 third birthday 73 years of age and Boris Johnson had said oh we're having a 1% pay rise but there was no word on whether the nurses were going to get an increase beyond 1% and you've got a new health secretary there in Sarah Javid who absolutely is beloved by the Brexiteers and these CRG, ERG, DRG, MRG, FRG, whatever the hell RG it is today, group that just does, you know, they love him because he wants to open everything up. He wants to open up everything. We don't need these stinking masks, except in these areas where we have to wear them. And other than that, I wouldn't do it. It's, it's madness. And, and the guy who exercised no caution when he was grabbing the back, grabbing the ass of this, uh, a woman that he had been working with, who was a liaison or who was whatever she was, was a, obviously a lover. Um, it, you know, the guy that, I mean, he didn't exercise any caution there. Ooh, should I cheat or should I not? And, no, no, I didn't care about that. But ooh, he was very cautious about this virus. Ooh, we must make sure that the virus is under control uh, but there was another thing that was not under control for Matt Hancock. Hint, hint. Check his last name. And the other thing about Matt Hancock that is just so incredibly... I anyway, the thing about Matt Hancock... You know, see, I can't even talk now. Matt Hancock... Uh, again, I've gone over this ad infinitum, dear listener. That Matt Hancock is the same Matt Hancock who last year told nurses... 
Yeah, don't wear those masks. You may have to re-wear them more than once. You may have to wear be go easy on the masks. Go look it up. You don't have to listen to me and believe me. He said that. Go easy on the masks and be sparing on the masks. These are nurses you're talking to. That's what nurses he was talking to. And you know, and they were and meanwhile, his boss gives the nurses says, Oh, a one percent pay rise for you. But thank you, NHS. It's it's so diabolical and it's so freaking it's so evil. It's always my go to word, but it's true, it is. Boris Johnson has absolutely damaged goods. In fact, it's not only damaged goods, he's damaged a country. He's totally damaged a country and thrown it under the bus. And I'm beginning to think that these by-election victories are a product of people who have just had enough. Labour winning the seat of Batley and Spen last week through Kim Leadbeater, who I spoke about on an episode of this podcast a few days back now. And previous to that, in Amersham and Chesham, the Lib Dems winning there. People have had enough. I'm getting to this. I'm getting to think. I'm getting to thinking that people have finally had it with these Tories. Now, two victories do not make a big deal, but they do make a big deal, because usually, in these by-elections, you don't hear the Lib Dems winning these things. I mean, sometimes they've done, but not lately. Since uh, Joe Swinson got. Absolutely, I mean, she got a hiding in that that election in 2019. The Lib Dems have been pretty darn quiet. But the thing is, is the Labour Party seemed to have been in retreat since 2019 because of what happened at that general election, because of the leadership change, or the leadership change had to happen. And Sakia Starmer now, um, just over a year in the job, has had very mixed results at best, and only just this past week has really been able to triumph and shout and sing. And of course, the right-wing media on Fleet Street in England, do they, do they dare exude a celebration around Sakia Starmer? Oh no, they're not going to do that. But the, this is the merry-go-round that people who live in England are continuously getting on and off of. And sometimes that ride can spin real fast. And sometimes it slows to a crawl and it's predictable. You know what's going to happen next. And with Boris Johnson, you know what's going to happen next. And people still vote for this. And I don't know why. They still vote for their Tory MP in their district. And I don't know why. In their constituency. And I don't know why. Because if you really want to say to Boris Johnson, adios, you've got to start voting out members of Parliament who are Tory. Even if the Tories seem to be halfway decent in your neighbourhood, which I doubt that they are. But it's just laughable. Oh, well, you've got to be cautious, but we're going to throw everything open. Which means that this guy does not care. And which means he's also lying. Beth Rigby who is, I think, a really good political analyst and journalist at Sky News. I've always uh, been a a fan of hers because she does ask the right question. And you heard it right there in that clip that I just played. But I tell you, it's absolutely bizarre. It's bizarro 
that you've got a situation like this with someone who is still in that office and all the resignations, all the comings and goings, literally dominant comings and goings and everything else, all the ministerial code violations that couldn't put Humpty together again. Uh, it's just, it's just absolutely flabbergasting. And then the media just just absolutely leaning on the side of the conservatives, whether it's Sky doing it, whether it's BBC, really the BBC are the worst. They totally, this is the back pocket. This is basically Tory hour, uh, the BBC. And Tory week, month, year, generation. I mean, it's, it's just, it's not even, they don't even hide it now. And then you've got Channel 4 that definitely skewers and makes it clear where they stand. And they're no friend of the Tories, even though the Tories actually created that channel through legislation, if memory serves me correctly. And, and now they're trying to privatize Channel 4. So, you know, oh, Channel 4, ooh, that's a little, ooh, no, we don't want that. So now they're trying to privatize that. They're trying to privatize the National Health Service to a degree. They have uh, succeeded in doing some of that. Jeremy Hunt, the biggest, uh, well, he, he, well, it's just embarrassing to see him standing up in the House of Commons talking the, the talk that he talked today um, as well, by the way, uh, when, the home, when the former Home Secretary, Savage Javid, now Health Secretary, was saying what he was saying. Jeremy Hunt is one of the architects of trying to gut the NHS. And he's the biggest reason why you got all these wait times of, of over a year in some cases. And Jeremy Hunt... And he's still sitting there in the, in the House of Commons. And no one sees fit to vote him out. It, it's just, it, you think it's crazy here in the United States. I, I'm telling you, in my native country, in the UK, in England, it, I think it's worse. In terms of the way voters seem to be so intransigent about getting rid of these folks who literally belong to a party that is doing untold damage to the country. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And I wonder if it is the corporate news media in England that does this, that keeps these people on side and says, OK, yeah, we'll give them another shot. After 12 years, or 11, 12 years of austerity, you're going to give them another shot to do what? Throw the entire country in the freaking Atlantic Ocean? I, I, I just don't understand it. Right? I really don't. I, I, re I really, I really don't get it. But somebody obviously does because... It's continuing to work for the Tories. How is it that the Labour Party's popularity is still way behind after all the things that the Tories have done to destroy the place? Uh, anyway, that's just another story for another day. And I've, I could go on ad infinitum. But I, I am really at a loss for words on that. I really am. Can you just tell me why on earth it is that people continue to vote for the Conservative Party? Why? Why? There's just no earthly reason. So I ask again, why? You know, it's a vindication that we, we were innocent at the time. We was only young men. We did nothing. We went out for a night out, right? Me and my best friend, Paul, and this is what happened. We didn't expect that at all, you know? It was, it, it was a total um, stitched up. It was a total stitched up, you know? We, we was framed up for nothing. And for, the, for 50 years, it affected me, you know? And I know it affected Paul as well.
right? I, I just hasn't, haven't been, been the same. He hasn't been the same. And that's Cleveland Davidson, a black man in England today talking about the 50 years, 50 years of injustice, wrongfully convicted and jailed. And for much of those 50 years behind bars, Cleveland Davidson, who there in that clip was talking about the fact that no one believed him. Well, he didn't say that. There's another clip I'll play you where he does talk about no one believed him, even members of his family, some of them. This is a, a man, along with five others, they were called the Stockwell Six. Stockwell is in South London. It is not far away at all from Brixton. And in 1972, um, was it 71, 72, whichever it was, it was 1972, I believe it was, um, the six black men, including Cleveland Davison and the other gentleman you heard him talk about, he mentioned Paul, which is the other person that you, um, I think you'll be hearing from in one of these clips that I'll be playing for you. We're accused of stealing from a corrupt police officer. Of course, they didn't call the cop they allegedly stole from a corrupt cop, but that's what he was, and they didn't steal anything. They were completely framed, as, as Cleveland Davison just said there, and they were sent to prison for that, and they served almost all that time behind bars. And finally, on this day, the Court of Appeals in London ruled that they were wrongfully jailed and freed them. I mean, imagine you going into prison as a teenager in the 1970s and you only just got out now in 2021. Seriously? I mean, just think about that for a second. Think about that. You go in as a 14, a 15, a 16-year-old and you now come out as a 64, 65, 66-year-old. It's like your life, your whole life, basically, or much of your life is spent inside a prison cell for something you didn't do. Now, I would like to know if they're going to get any compensation for anything at all. For 50 years, the Stockwell Six, and now, now what they're trying to do is to track down or trace I would say oh gosh track and trace oh gosh that that some help that was Matt Hancock you did a bang up job of that oh yeah but what they're trying to do they the authorities are trying to locate the rest of the Stockwell 6 and if they can do that they will absolutely quash their convictions as well and release them from their 50 years of hell it's it's really you can't imagine being behind bars for 50 years unless you've done it 50 years 50 you you can't you can't you just can't imagine it they were they were absolutely i mean I know we make movies about this all the time. But I don't know that... I mean, yes, their story should be told. But 
something else should happen in addition to a movie or a book or something. You know, how do you give back 50 years of someone's life to them? Any more than how do you get back people who have been murdered by police? And in the last few weeks in England, we have seen this, right? We've seen in the last few months in England, I think a a police officer admitted to killing Sarah Everard. And if that's not true, then I apologize because I know that there are some really serious libel laws in England. Even though I'm not in England, I still kind of keep keep my eye on that. Then you had what happened last week or the week before. The uh, police officer um, in the Midlands there killed a footballer named Dalian Atkinson. Dalian Atkinson was a, was, a, was a black man who played football for Aston Villa and a number of other football clubs in England. And this cop, and here's a warning here for graphic descriptions, kicked Dalian Atkinson in the head several times with so much force that boot prints and shoelace prints were left embedded in Dalian Atkinson's head. And he was tased and tased and tased over and over. And for extended periods of time. He was guilty of manslaughter was this cop who did this to Dalian Atkinson. Not murder, but manslaughter. That's what the, that's what the, um, what he was found guilty of. Not the murder charge, where well, he should have been found guilty of that too. But I don't know if they just, well, anyway, that, that's, the, that's what happened. And now you've got this, the corrupt cop who died back in the 1980s, Derek Ridgewell, Detective Sergeant Ridgewell. And this is a British transport police officer, not a metropolitan police officer. He's one of those police officers you might see wandering the tube stations and the underground station, the tube. Corrupt. So it's the system. So let's not just individualize it to Detective Sergeant Derek Ridgewell. Let's let's look at the whole system that produces these corrupt cops because the system itself is running just the way it's supposed to, like a well-oiled killing machine. And it lives and breathes the corruption that it inflicts. So when Paul Green, who is the other gentleman today who received good news. And Cleveland Davidson stood up rejoicing. You have to really understand that both of these guys, one of them looks like he could still um, be on a football team playing. The other one looks like he, I don't know, he still looks as if he's only 55. And he's he's almost 70. I, I I just don't get it. I don't get it, you know? This is the thing. The Court of Appeal quashed their convictions. Judge said that, that it was most unfortunate it had taken so long. You think? Uh, this is just crazy. Uh, there were th- five other men. One of the six had been acquitted, so I should get that correct. Everett Mullins was acquitted. The other five men, members of the Stockwell Six, and they were boys at the time. It's like the Central Park case. They were boys. They're all 15 and 14 and 16. And the other four, or the other five, were all convicted. Paul Green, as I mentioned, Cleveland Davison, as I mentioned, Courtney, Courtney Harriet, Texo Johnson, and Ronald D'Souza, all convicted. 
Oh, dear. Before I read, in fact, I'm not going to read on anymore. I'm going to just have you listen, please do, to some of what you're going to hear. Well, just what you're going to hear right now. I want you to listen to this. You're going to hear the voice of Cleveland Davidson first. And you might hear Paul Green's voice as well. This is a Sky News report. It's the full report. It's about six minutes, I think, or five. Um, You're going to hear the anchor. You're going to hear the reporter, um, Ivor Bennett. And the anchor, I think, in this one is Jane Secker uh, from Sky News, both of them. And then you're going to be hearing from Paul excuse me, Cleveland Davidson talking about his anguish. You just heard Cleveland Davidson a few minutes ago. But you're going to hear him again in a bit more detail. And you're also going to be hearing from Paul Green, I believe, who's also a member of the Stockwell Six. Roll that audio, please. Three black men who were jailed for allegedly attempting to rob a corrupt police officer nearly 50 years ago have had their convictions overturned by the Court of Appeal this lunchtime. Courtney Harriet, Paul Green and Cleveland Davison, all aged between 17 and 20 at the time, were arrested on the London Underground while travelling from Stockwell Station, South London, in February 1972. Well, it's a, it's a vindication, you know, it's a vindication that we, we were innocent at the time. We was only young men, we did nothing. We went out for a night out, right? Me and my best friend, Paul, and this is what happened. We didn't expect that at all, you know? It was, it, it was a total um, stitched up, it was a total stitched up, you know? We, we was framed up for nothing. And for, the, for 50 years, it affected me, you know? And I know it affected Paul as well. Right, I, I just hasn't, I haven't been, been the same. My family didn't believe me, no one believed me because they think, oh, you know, you, 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 do, you must have done something, you know. So, my mum and my mom and father died, and up to that day, my dad did not believe me. So, can you imagine how I felt? My mum, she sort of, you know, believe me, my dad wouldn't, you know. So, can you imagine the trauma I've been going through for 50 years? Who want to go through trauma like that for 50 years? It's a long time. So it's a, it's a vindication today that you can even there is justice. It's not all policemen is bad. But we just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time with, with a bad, corrupt police officer at the time. And, and I tell you what, I, I'm, just, I'm just overwhelmed that justice has played out in the end. Well, Sky's Ivor Bennett joins me now from the High Court. Ivor, why has it taken so long? Yeah, well, good question. It's because um, the longer that it goes on, the harder it becomes to actually uh, bring these kind of cases to review, partly because the information uh, is just not around anymore. Uh, and it took a long time to actually uncover that there was actually corruption at the core of this case. It's been 50 long years for these men since they were wrongfully jailed on the word of a corrupt police officer. But here at the Court of Appeal this morning, that wrong has finally been put right. Cleveland Davidson, who you've heard from there, Paul Green uh, and uh, Courtney Harriet, uh, three black men have all had their names cleared, their convictions quashed after what the judge described as a shocking miscarriage of justice. Along with three of their friends, they became known as the Stockwell Six uh, after they were accused of attempting to rob uh, a police officer on the London Underground at Stockwell Station back in February 1972. They were aged between 17 and 20 at the time, so young men with their lives ahead of them. Uh, they were all put on trial at the Old Bailey, all but all pleaded not guilty, and all but one, uh, who was acquitted, were actually jailed or sent to Borstal uh, Young Offenders Institution. They've always known they were innocent, of course, but uh, only now in their late 60s, as everyone else know that, 
uh, too. We heard from Cleveland Davidson there who said he was unable to convince his own parents, for example, before they died of his innocence. And Paul Green, who I spoke to outside court, um, he told me how he'd only, he, he only told his own children of what happened to him earlier this year because of the shame. It's been bad. It's something that I've been carrying, like you said, for the past 50 years. I couldn't tell no one about it. Because what would they have said? You know, and, and there's no proof. But now I've got the proof, I can hold my head high and tell everyone that I'm innocent. Now, the police officer on whose uh, evidence these men were sent to prison was a detective sergeant. Uh, Derek Ridgewell, uh, and it was only after another case involving testimony from him that uh, that, that, that was quashed uh, in 2019 that this case was actually referred to uh, the Court of Appeal, uh, and it is now actually the third time uh, his corruption, Ridgewell's corruption, has led to a conviction being overturned. He himself was sent to prison um, uh, and died there in 1982, but in... in in quashing these convictions, the Lord Chief Justice Lord Burnett said there was now an accumulating body of evidence uh, that points to the unreliability of evidence uh, given by DS Ridgewell and others in his specialist group, which means there could be dozens of other people who have also been wrongfully convicted. The priority now, though, is for the Criminal Cases Review Commission to try and trace the remaining two members of the Stockwell Six so they too can have their convictions quashed. When you really think about it, dear listener, their lives were frozen, frozen in time. Your life frozen, their lives frozen at 15 or 16 years old, frozen there for 50 years. Welcome back. One more story that I did not feature, but I am definitely going to mention it here, is what's happening with black communities again in Los Angeles County. Yesterday, you may remember, if you are a lively listener to this podcast, this podcast and a frequent listener, I spoke about the surge in hate crimes in this very state here in California against black people. The numbers have gone through the roof. And that's the secret or the quote-unquote dirty little secret, for lack of a better terminology, that has really been hidden. Reported hate crime against black people in California in 2020 rose to the level of what? Nearly 500, 450 some odd cases of it, if not more. Far outstripping any other group of people who reported hate crimes. It was not even a close contest. And now the Los Angeles Times tells us in today's edition that there is an alarming COVID trend for black residents. That's the headline of a new article by Ron Gong Lin II and Luke Money. I've mentioned Luke's name before. He wrote an article um, that I read out a few days ago um, about, I forget which, whichever it was. It could have been a recall race. It could have been whatever it was. But I, I don't remember exactly. But the point is, is that that's what I did. And Luke Money is on this particular article as well with Ron Gong Lin II. And I'll read out just a portion of this one for you from today's LA Times. The subtitle to the alarming COVID trend for black residents story is this. 
the community's hospitalization rates rose during a period when other groups saw declines. And here's what Lynn and Money have to say. Coronavirus case and hospitalization rates are worsening for Los Angeles County's black residents, a troubling sign less than a month after California fully reopened its economy. Between mid-May and mid-June of this year, 2021, the COVID-19 case rate over a two-week period rose 18, 1-8, 18% among black residents, but declined 4% for Latino residents, declined 6% for white residents, and declined 25% for Asian Americans. And the hospitalization for black residents, the hospitalization rate for black residents, who are less likely than other racial and ethnic groups to be vaccinated, grew by 11%, while declining for Asian Americans by 12%, declining for Latino residents by 29%, and declining for white residents by 37%. Experts expressed shock and alarm at the rise in hospitalizations among black residents. The trend underscores how, despite L.A. County's devastating autumn and winter surge, many unvaccinated and susceptible people remain. Doctors warn the latest figures could be a prelude to rising deaths in the coming weeks and months. Quote, with low vaccination rates plus the Delta variant, hello, this can move actually very quickly to devastate the black communities particularly in our urban centers, again, said Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo, epidemiologist at UC San Francisco. Quote, when you see rising numbers of cases, you have to pay attention because it means that those people are susceptible. I'm going to skip around here in this article. Quote, it's really quite uneven in our urban centers. Our black communities have the lowest vaccination rates. End quote. Bibbins Domingo said. Quote, what we're seeing in LA is what we'll see in other urban centers. The cases and the hospitalizations will rise among those who are unvaccinated. End quote. And black communities will be especially hard hit. Making things worse is the swift spread of the Delta variant, which is possibly twice as infectious as the strains that spread around the world last year. The Delta variant has really changed the game here, Bibbins Domingo said, a fact that should only further encourage younger people who have been less enthusiastic about getting jabbed to get vaccinated as soon as possible. According to the most recent data, black residents in L.A. County are roughly three times as likely as white residents to be diagnosed with the coronavirus, to be newly hospitalized with COVID-19 or to die from the disease. In the two-week period that ended June 19th, 46 out of every 100,000 black residents in L.A. County were diagnosed with the coronavirus. The corresponding figures for Latino, white, and Asian American residents were 22, 17, and 6 cases per 100,000, respectively. 
For every 100,000 black residents, 9.3 were newly hospitalized with COVID-19 in the two-week period that ended June 19th. That was up from 8.4 in the two weeks that ended May 22nd. For Latinos, meanwhile, that rate fell from 7% to 5%. For whites, that fell from 4.3% to 2.7%. And for Asian Americans, that fell from 1.7% to 1.5%. This is just, uh, we've got to get vaccinated. But here's the real story here that this article did allude to that I didn't read, but it's in the article. Not enough is being done to get the resources to black and brown communities, especially black communities. We need to get the resources to black people so that they can get vaccinated. The narrative about, ooh, they're skeptical, is not the whole story because there's a lot of black people who are not skeptical. They need the virus. They want, they need the virus. Listen to me. They need the vaccine is what I'm trying to say. Trying to say. They want the vaccine. So why don't you give it to them, to us? Give us the vaccine. You have to bring the resources to us. You know, rich people have no problem getting this vaccine. They had no problem getting it last year when it was available. They were getting it before the people who really needed it were getting it. And that's still the case. The people who need this vaccine the most are black and brown people. Because in Los Angeles County, just a few short weeks ago, Latinos were absolutely being hit hard, hammered by this virus, as were Native Americans, by the way, and black people. And it just is so evil. It's all about who's got the power, who's got the resources, and who had them stolen from them. It really is all about that. Who has the power? Who has the access? And who had the resources stolen from them? In the first place. And there's just no question about this. I don't think that this is anything more than the history of this country and the way it has treated black people right in front of you. I don't think there's a doubt about this. This is really an alarming story, which I urge you to read in full. From the Los Angeles Times, dated today, July the 6th, 2021. Alarming COVID trend for black residents by Rong Gong Lin II and Luke Money. It should send chills down your spine. It's just absolutely disturbing. And if California Governor Gavin Newsom really pays attention, he really should slow his role on this state reopening, but the genie's already out of the bottle. It's just been three weeks now. It's been three weeks since Governor Newsom reopened this state. And you can't close everything down now, unless this Delta variant forces you to. Thank you very much for listening to this edition 
of the politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. <laughs>